Well, good morning. morning. Great to be with you all, and um, thank you for the opportunity to to share with you what is uh, going on in terms of the building up of Christ Church in another part of the world. Um, And uh, we thank you as uh, a church family for your support and your prayers and for your involvement with us um, in the task of the Great Commission um, here and around the world. Um, So thank you for that. What I'd like to do in the uh, 45 minutes that we have is um, just um, go to God's Word briefly, orient our thinking. I'll try to be brief about that, and then um, uh, hopefully give a a couple of pictures and a brief update um, about how uh, life and work is going in Zambia. Um, But first of all, let's let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and um, I want to draw your attention to a paragraph in Scripture um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, here and I think probably around the world, Christians have um, felt and are feeling the sense of um, increased hostility towards, um, towards Christianity, towards uh, obedience to Christ. And it, coming back uh, after having been away uh, from American culture for three years, I I feel that hostility even more. Um, it just feels more and more like Christians are uh, on the defensive. And, um, and it's easy to, uh, um, I think, lack direction and, and to know what it is that we as Christians ought to be doing in the world that is becoming increasingly hostile towards the gospel. I want to share with you uh, some thoughts from a passage that has oriented my thinking and uh, helped me to think, I think, biblically about uh, what we ought to be doing in this world. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10, uh, uh, chapter 10, sorry, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes to the Corinthians, By the humility and the gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now the challenge uh, here is that this is one paragraph in the midst of a whole letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians. And and even the letter of 2 Corinthians shows up really late in in a long and pretty complicated relationship that Paul had with the Corinthians. There were multiple letters between Paul and the Corinthians and multiple visits and a lot of things that were happening. And and Paul's relationship with the church is an intimate one. He's the the founder uh, of their fellowship. He's the one who led many of these people to Christ. He, He talks about how they only have one father in the gospel, which is himself. And as close relationships often are, there were moments of considerable interpersonal pain that Paul had in his relationship with the Corinthians. What was the source of the conflict? Well, the root of it seemed to be in worldly 
mindsets, worldly modes of thinking, which were causing the Corinthians to relate in an unhealthy way towards godly Christians like Paul and others who were seeking to build them up spiritually. And that was creating conflict, uh, for example, in his relationship with Paul, but it also caused them to think of Peter the Apostle and Apollos and other people um, in a wrong light because the, the worldly mindset that was governing their relationships was actually starting to, to hurt the way they perceived fellow Christians. Now, through the course of his conflict with the Corinthians, Paul actually appeared pretty weak to the Corinthians. He was trying to help them to move in obedience and uh, to remove from their hearts the worldliness that was in them, the, the Corinth that was in them. Um, but, but Paul was clear that he was not trying to be eloquent among them. He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or wi- a human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And, and he also appears to have lacked a, a commanding presence when he was with them in person. Paul would show up and, and he, he simply just was not as impressive looking and as um, bold and commanding as the Corinthians thought he ought to have been. In fact, he appeared far bolder in his letters when he was safely out of their reach. And so the Corinthians actually mistook him, at least some of them, for a kind of first century keyboard warrior. You know, the kind of person who is very bold when they're texting or posting online. But when you actually meet the person face to face, you say, wow, where's this guy's boldness and his courage, right? A real problem. But this became an easy way for the Corinthians to dodge the truth that Paul was telling them. He was telling them the truth, boldly, granted, in a letter. And the Corinthians managed to brush that aside by criticizing the manner in which he was speaking that truth. And that's a danger for us as well. And Paul refers to this in the first verse that I just read. I, Paul, who am supposedly timid when face-to-face, but bold when I'm away from you. Um, even in verse 10 of the same chapter, he says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. You kind of get this understanding of how the Corinthians were. He was also gracious and non-combative towards people who were opposing his ministry and who were calling into question whether or not he was valid as an apostle, as he claimed. And that gracious and non-combative stance, uh, and at times withdrawal, actually appeared to the Corinthians like he was backing down from a confrontation. But what's so important to realize is that Paul is aware of all this. It's not that he's ignorant or just um, uninformed about this. He tells them in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. He's aware of this. And he's also not bothered by his, his weak showing. That's not a concern to him. In my estimation, as I understand Paul, he, he probably was pretty capable of, of blowing them away if he chose to with his, his sheer intelligence Um, his impressive learning credentials. He sat under some of the finest teachers of his day. With his religious pedigree, 
if he wanted to try to do those things, I think he'd be pretty capable. Though, of course, it is hard to know what would have impressed the Corinthians. They were a, a tough lot to please. But it is clear that Paul deliberately chose not to try to do any of those things. He didn't try to cover up or distract from weaknesses that he had. He was open about them. He was transparent about them. He didn't uh, take pride in them and, and flaunt them, but he didn't try to cover up for them either. And in this paragraph, Paul is trying to help the Corinthians see that though weak in himself, he's engaging in an intense spiritual battle in their midst. And, and that's what I want to draw our attention today, this intense spiritual battle that Paul is engaging in. And uh, this spiritual battle, he says in verse 8 of our chapter, concerns their spiritual growth in Christ. He says, I'm trying to build you up. In, in the first few verses here, Paul urges them to respond correctly to spiritual discipline. Uh, he, he talks about how he wants them to respond properly uh, to the discipline that he will bring uh, as he urges them to follow Christ. And he refers, uh, first of all, to the, the gentleness and the humility of Christ. You see that in, in chapter uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. He, he appeals to them and says, I, Paul, by the gentleness and the, uh, and the um, humility of Christ, urge you. And then he, he appeals to them to respond the way they ought to. And Paul also acknowledges that some of the Corinthians actually did not consider him to be sufficiently spiritual. Now, that's kind of bizarre. I mean, could you imagine somebody accusing Paul of not being spiritual enough? That sounds a little odd to our ears. But that's what he's getting at when he says in verse uh, 3, for though, sorry, verse 2, I beg that when I come to you, I may not come as, uh, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some people who think that we, we referring to him and, uh, and his ministry, who think that we live by the standards of this world. There's people in Corinth who think Paul's living by the standards of this world. Well, Paul uh, uses this term, world, as the NIV says, or flesh, as the ESV says, and he actually takes this term that they're taking as, a, as an accusation, and he claims it, and he kind of turns their whole argument on their head, and he, he does so by, by using this term to contrast his own weakness with the power of God. So Paul is struggling with some people who are saying he's in the flesh, he's worldly, and he says, it is true, that is the realm in which I'm living. I'm only human, I'm only a physical human being, and that is where my weakness as a person is seen, and that's in contrast to the power of God through which I am struggling on your behalf, he says to the Corinthians. Now, Paul then proceeds to describe the nature of his struggle with the Corinthians. Um, and it would be good for us to stop and just ask, is, is Paul's spiritual struggle on the behalf of the Corinthians relevant to you and I in, in our own relationships with fellow Christians? He talks about a spiritual battle. He uses terms like waging war, fighting, capturing, destroying, uh, arguments and, and all these things, should we read Paul the way we read the newspaper, hearing about distant conflicts and struggles 
and thinking that they have little to no direct impact on us, except for gas prices and that sort of thing? Or is the kind of struggle that Paul is engaged in one particular battle within a broader conflict of which we are all a part? Well, hopefully you can see where I'm headed with this. I think we're all part of this very same broader conflict uh, in this world as Christians. And what Paul is going to say about his particular battle in building up the Corinthians, I think has a lot to say to us about how we ought to be engaging our own relationships. So I hope to try to make that connection clear. So Paul describes now his, his engagement in this spiritual battle in the world. And to break that down, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions here. Um, Paul says, yes, we do live in this world. We live in the sphere of the, the physical body. And, and yet, he says, we don't fight that way. So, verse 3, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So, what do we use to fight in this battle? Paul answers negatively, not this, and then positively, but that. Okay, so negatively, here's what we do not fight with. We do not fight with the weapons of this world. He says that in verse 3. That's not how we wage the battle we're engaged in. Paul doesn't tell us what uh, he means by the weapons of this world. He just says it that way. But based on his previous interaction with the Corinthians, uh, he probably has in mind things like persuasive words, philosophical wisdom, Impressive demonstrations of, of miraculous power. All the things that the Corinthians were so wowed by. Uh, Paul seems to put those in the category of that would be fighting according to the weapons of this world. As his comments, of course, rule out a whole host of other things as well. You could fill in the blanks today with uh, how we could fight according to the weapons of this world. And that could be things like um, uh, trying to instigate social transformation, uh, military campaigns, um, intellectual persuasion. I mean, we could, the list would be quite endless. This isn't to say that those things have no spiritual significance, but that is not the way the Christians are called to engage in this world where we are. Instead, Paul answers positively. So not the weapons of this world, but in verse 4, we fight, uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, verse 4, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we do fight, and we have weapons, not of this world, but ones that are fortified with divine power. Now, he doesn't, again, elaborate on what those might be, but our minds ought to be thinking of Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Um, and we could, we could fill that out further, but that is what Paul is getting at. And what are we to do with these weapons, Paul says? Well, the, the Christian struggle lies in the realm of truth and belief. Um, and Paul here uh, now starts to build this, this word picture, a metaphor for the Christian struggle. And he uses some very obvious militaristic, martial kind of terminology uh, to build this, this idea. He talks about um, destruction, destroying, taking captive, punishing, and, and that's the, the word picture he develops here to describe the Christian conflict in the world. This isn't the only way to describe it. 
Um, Paul, elsewhere, because he loves word pictures, describes his relationship with the Corinthians like a nursing mother and uh, giving birth. Okay, so there's, there's more than one word picture that could capture what's going on. But Paul here uses these terms. What are we to do with the weapons that we have, these spiritual weapons? He, he shows us that in verse 4. On the contrary, they have divine power, referring to the weapons. And then he says, to... And then he describes the, the use of those weapons. What do we do with them? We demolish strongholds. So he has these verbs of destroying and later on capturing. We demolish strongholds, he says in verse 4. What strongholds? What are you and I called to demolish or tear down? He elaborates in verse 5. Uh, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The, the battlefield that you and I are in is in the realm of what the Bible describes as the human heart. Don't think about heart the way our cultures uh, tend to narrow it to our, the sphere of your affections and your emotions. Don't exclude those either. It's, it's actually the whole you, as the Bible describes it. The heart includes your intellect, what you think and believe. It includes your emotions and your affections, things that you prioritize. And it most certainly also includes your actions and your behaviors where you act on those priorities, those beliefs and affections. That's the whole you, as the Bible describes it. And that is the battlefield. That's the, that's the battleground where we are. The mortal threat in this battle lies in those aspects of the human heart, which pridefully exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. You notice how he described that in verse 5. Every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Think of the, the setting up not just something neutral or passive. It's actually an aggressive, combative confrontation. There are beliefs and pretensions in human hearts that are actually aggressively opposed to the knowledge of God. And that's where the battle lies. That's where you and I ought to be engaged in this world as we seek to uh, spread the gospel, um, help people grow spiritually. And Paul is motivated by his love for the Corinthians, and he's determined to destroy not the Corinthians, but those things in their hearts which are... Uh, opposed to the knowledge of God, lest those wrong beliefs, ideas, pretensions actually destroy the Corinthians. Because remember, this is, this is a battlefield. These things will destroy the Corinthians. They will result in their spiritual ruin. And so out of love for the Corinthians, Paul is determined to, to destroy those things, those beliefs, behaviors, ideas, um, etc., that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. He has a second uh, military verb he uses, capturing, capturing every thought, he says in the last part of verse 5, taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so this battle, this spiritual battle, also involves taking captive every thought that's in revolt to the lordship of Christ and bringing it in line with obedience to him. And notice how the knowledge of God and obedience to Christ 
are, are two terms that Paul uses, but actually he uses them as one and the same thing. The knowledge of God would be the obedience of Christ and, and fearing him and, and walking in line with, with what he has taught. Lastly, uh, we could ask, what's the ultimate aim of this battle? Paul refers to that again in verses 5 and 6. He, he talks about taking captive every thought. To, to what end? To make it obedient to Christ. That's the ultimate aim of what Paul is trying to accomplish with the Corinthians, helping them become obedient to Christ. Verse 6, he, he speaks more directly as his role as an apostle, that we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Um, there are definitely certain aspects of Paul's work that are unique to his role as an apostle. And I think this, dis- this, um, this discipline uh, is, is perhaps one of them. I don't think that we're called as individuals to go discipline fellow Christians, though we, we do know there's this thing called church discipline, where as a, as a congregation we can exercise that um, with a, a sinning brother or sister. That's the ultimate aim of this battle is obedience to Christ. And uh, before we move on from here, I, I just can't help but observe the uh, example that Paul sets in this battle. Remember how he led off in verse 1. He says, I appeal by the humility and the gentleness of Christ. And that is, that is the anchor point that Paul is trying to emulate as he engages in a, in a hostile, confrontational battle with the Corinthians. He is, he is seeking to, uh, to emulate the humility and the gentleness of Christ. And at times, that requires also boldness. He says in verse 2, I who am bold when I'm away. There were times when Paul had to be very direct and very confrontational. He even wrote them previous to this, something that he called a, 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 a painful letter, and he had a painful visit. Okay, So there were times when things got a, a bit ugly and confrontational. And yet, the humility and the gentleness of Christ were the thing that Paul was holding forth. And we ought to appreciate how these things go together. This, this warfare, this battling, this destroying, taking captive, and all that. We ought to appreciate how these go together. Waging warfare against the, the prideful rebellion against God and the human heart with the gentleness and the humility of Christ. Those things are not opposed to each other. If your view of Christ uh, begins with gentleness and, and humility, don't let it end there, but remember that he is also a king and he exercises lordship and that he has determined that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so these things go together and that's, that's what Paul is doing in terms of the spiritual warfare among the Corinthians. He is seeking their good and that is ultimately wrapped up in their obedience to Christ. This, uh, this task of, of engaging in spiritual warfare um, and uh, bringing thoughts and arguments and ideas into captivity, uh, to obedience to Christ, is in that broad sense something that we all ought to be engaging in. We ought to be able to um, reflect on our own thinking and meditate and ask, are there beliefs, uh, affections, behaviors in me that are setting themselves up against the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, and, and are therefore in revolt 
to, to Christ and his lordship. And after we have self-examined and, and asked for God's spirit to reveal those things to us, we, we ought to be able to lovingly consider our brothers and sisters and to do likewise, again, with the gentleness and the humility of Christ, um, to see where there are beliefs, affections, behaviors that are, that are in disobedience to Christ. And in love, we ought to go to that person and we ought to engage them with the truth because that is where the spiritual battle lies. Um, and I would encourage you uh, to think in these lines and, and meditate on this as you consider your own relationships. This uh, spiritual battle is, I would argue, the same world over, and um, it's an important aspect of uh, even what we do in Zambia at Central Africa Baptist University. Um, we have our, our broader uh, mission, uh, mission uh, statement as training the next generation of servant leaders in Africa for Great Commission living, and that, of course, includes the idea of becoming obedient to all that Christ has commanded. Um, I want to transition now to um, give you a brief update about what uh, we have been doing in Zambia um, and uh, give you a feel for, for what kind of work we are engaged in. And uh, if I happen to end a little early, I might even have time for a little bit of Q&A, which I'd be happy about. Um, Sarah and I have uh, been living in Zambia now for about 11 years. Um, and uh, teaching at Central Africa Baptist University, where I teach um, some basic Bible doctrines courses, uh, a bit of language courses, and then Sarah and I also teach um, a first-year critical thinking course um, for our first-year students. Um, and uh, we are members at Faith Baptist Church of Riverside, and um, we have a Zambian eldership, and I serve as a deacon there, along with some other uh, men there, and... Um, yeah, we're trying to be healthy church members, um, healthy Christians, as we all ought to be doing, um, and serving well and effectively in, um, in Christ's church. Um, since last we were with you guys, we've uh, added a couple of kids. Um, uh, this is our newest addition. This is Tristan. He was born uh, just a little over a year ago. Um, uh, in Zambia, and so we're thankful for his energy and his enthusiasm about life. Um, we were with you guys, well, we were in the States last in 2019, but I don't think we actually were with you all here. Um, so uh, this is Camille. She looks like she's in the middle of a long and exciting story, as usual, telling us about something. Um, and she was born um, when we were in the States last in May of 2019. Um, but that trip, we didn't do much more beyond have a baby and, yeah. So with these two, uh, in the last three years, we've, we've kind of been experiencing some, uh, kind of some parental jet lag, like out of nowhere, these two little ones, and um, it's been great. Um, they've had a, um, a disruptive force in terms of our, uh, our usual plans and routines, um, Sarah commented that it felt like we were kind of engaged in uh, culture shock all over again, because this time it's now as parents of, of little kids, and, and that was really true. Um, but we're thankful for um, these additions to our family. Um, travel over this way was uh, pretty exciting. Um, we're glad that the travel's over, and uh, yeah, but we saw a lot of fun things, and 
The kids enjoyed the airplane for the first few minutes anyways. So that's kind of a family update. Um, we've been, we've been uh, continuing to kind of get our feet back under us, um, just adjusting to, to church life and school life and all, uh, life in general, um, but with kids, um, but we're thankful for, uh, for them. On the school front, um, a lot's happened in the last uh, three years or so. Um, we had um, a lot of campus development buildings and that sort of thing to accommodate some, some program and student growth. Um, and so uh, we started off, I think this uh, first picture is in 2020, um, right when COVID hit, we've been working on a, a large multi-purpose um, kind of a commons area on campus. Um, and you can see the uh, mid-stage of it and then the completion there on the bottom right. Um, this is the Athanasia Student Center, um, and uh, the campus development uh, actually occurred at a really good time because uh, there were some COVID outages and so forth that um, when students were away, it was, it was actually a good time to, to finish and complete these. There's a lot of um, backstory to uh, political wranglings with getting the plots and the construction and all that kind of stuff, but... The short story is that God's provided, um, and we, we don't have debt as a school. Um, these buildings are, are constructed and all paid for, so we're really thankful for that. Um, and they've been great to accommodate um, our, our growth. These are just buildings. That's not the growth itself. The growth is in the student body and with the, the kind of teaching that we're uh, offering to our students. Some of those new things include uh, things like the Genesis program, in Zambia, the, uh, what we call the grade 12 uh, re test results are what determine a lot about your college entry. Um, but you take those at the end of your 12th grade and then you have to wait several months before you even get the results. And so usually students have a gap year between graduation and then going off to college. Um, and so we initially started a gap year program where we encourage students who are waiting for those results to come study with us for a year um, and to get some biblical training and just some life skills. Um, and, and that uh, was a bit of an adjustment, but um, generally it turned out well. And since then, we've reworked the program to call it the Genesis program. And our emphasis is on uh, taking these young college-bound uh, students um, helping them to start developing a biblical worldview and also uh, giving them some specific targeted biblical instruction and, and some college skills in the mix as well. Um, that is, is uh, in its new form, just taking off this semester, which is, this is first semester for us. We follow a calendar year. Um, and, and so far, so good. It's, it's been a, a great improvement. Um, we've also uh, been working to offer um, a master's program at the school, at the seminary. Um, we have a lot of our undergrad students who are able and willing and interested in going on for further uh, study and training, um, but we, we've lacked the, uh, a good program to, to funnel them into, and we've really felt the need to develop one ourselves so that we can uh, continue to train them. Um, so we've, we've um, put together two uh, proposals um, for the seminary and for the master's program that we'd like to offer, 
and we have to seek accreditation from the Zambian government, the Higher Education Authority. Um, so far, we've not been successful at getting our, our proposed master's program approved. Um, they, they said there was too much church history in our master's on um, uh, Christian studies. Um, so we're, we're working through some of those kind of uh, political wranglings um, with the government, but we do hope to offer uh, those seminary courses in the near future. Um, despite world events, uh, we, we have managed to continue our classes and our programs for the most part with some cancellations. Um, leadership Conference uh, of 2021, this was in December, so just a couple months ago, um, with a little bit of social distancing, um, we managed to pack in, um, uh, boy, it was, I think it was, I forget the number, four or 500, it was, there was quite a few people there, um, and we were excited to see the turnout. It's a week-long um, conference where we, we bring in special speakers, there's uh, block classes going on for pastors, there's general sessions, um, and this is very much the attendance that we would see before COVID. Um, so we were excited to see that after just one year of, of canceling that, we were able to see a lot of people uh, come back. And so um, super excited about that. Uh, that was in December of, of last year. Um, and this is, by the way, the, um, the main room in that new building um, that we constructed. And that was really the purpose for this. Without social distancing, we can, we can squeeze in about 800 people um, under one roof, which is really the need that the conference had for us. Um, with social, social distancing, we can still get four or 500 in. So um, it's been super, super effective in, in accomplishing our, our objectives as a school. Graduation took place, um, and then we, that was February of 2022, this year, and we flew out the next day uh, to the States from there, um, but we we're excited about a good graduating class um, and um, some good attendance at our, at our graduation ceremony. Um, so there was one semester where we had to finish our, our schooling, our semester online because uh, COVID kept us from meeting. Um, and that was um, first semester of 2020, and that was a, a really hard semester, but we managed. Um, and since then, we've, we've been able to actually meet in person for the most part and continue our instruction like normal, which is, which is always ideal. Um, on the church front, uh, church life, um, we, we just continue to um, enjoy the close relationships with our fellow Christians there. Um, it's really awesome to be part of a, a church family where um, we're, we're definitely a minority. Uh, we're one of like three American families, um, and that's, that's super uh, awesome because it's great to see um, the, the health and the strength of the church present in another part of the world, and, uh, and we fit in where we're able and try to use our spiritual gifts uh, as we are able, but we definitely are on the receiving end of a lot of that as well, which is really, really awesome. Um, COVID definitely has created the same kinds of challenges world over, um, uh, kind of identified people whose commitment to God's, uh, the meeting of God's people um, was perhaps a weak commitment. Despite that, though, we continue to see growth. We're excited about that. One aspect of our, of our church life that we've been really thankful for is um, our young adults. Um, 
Every uh, Friday, the first Friday of, of every month, we have our young adults meet. used to be at our house in our living room right here, but our group got a little big, so now we meet at the church. But um, we meet with the young adults from our church and from uh, the area, some of which come from Copper Belt University, the second largest university in Zambia, is just right next door. Um, and we usually have a time of uh, board games and fellowship, followed by a meal and then some discussion. Uh, usually been about the, the Sunday sermon, about applications and that sort of thing. Um, and this time around, we've started a Bible study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and there's this cultural dynamic where college-age um, Zambian students definitely need the, the spiritual direction and um, closeness and mentorship of, of godly, mature Christians, but um, often... Uh, struggle to find that because culturally there's a there's a, a big gap between the older Zambian even the mature Christian and the younger generation it's it's a um, a little bit of a dynamic of respect and um, and distance and so it can be really difficult for the young adults to get the kind of mentorship that they need um, we're thankful for the way that our elders at our church are aware and are pushing back on that cultural dynamic. And um, so Pastor Chopa has been uh, the primary lead on the young adults, and we've been uh, helping as well. And it's been great to see the, the connections, the students feeling open, willing to talk, ask questions, work through um, applicational issues, um, having the freedom to to just come over on a Saturday and play games and talk about um, the tremendous difficulty of university life there. Um, so uh, we're thankful for how God has allowed us to continue to, uh, to work with the young adults. All right, I finished five minutes early. Sorry, I was rushing there. Um, what, what questions or thoughts or comments do you have? I've heard enough of myself speak. Please, yes. Yeah. Or do they go out, majority of these students, and um, become like you and your wife, missionaries, etc.? Sure, good question, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we get a, a broad spectrum of students. We, we do require that all of them give a clear and credible profession of faith um, as an entry requirement. Um, and so it's more of kind of the first that you described. We, we have our students, some of them headed for um, pastoral work, um, others headed for some aspect of teaching in the local church. Um, and yeah, some actually do uh, find themselves in a local church and then head out from there um, to strategically plant another uh, church somewhere else. Um, one student like that who comes to mind is... Uh, um, a guy named Mohammed. He comes from Khartoum, Sudan. Um, he graduated from our of our college, um, and while he was there, he was an intern at Faith Riverside. And uh, before he graduated, he asked if our church would consider um, kind of being a, a sending force to get him back to Khartoum, so that he could start planting a church. Um, and so we we have done that. So he is now um, a fellow Christian who we've sent out to start a church in Khartoum. 
the capital of Sudan. Um, and yeah, it's been exciting. There's already a core group of, of Christians there. Um, we've sent uh, elders and deacons on two different trips from, from Zambia to go check up on him and see how the work has progressed. Um, I was able to be part of the second trip in October of last year. And yeah, so that's an example of a, of a student going strategically to plant a church in another place. Yeah, great question. Yes? Yeah, we, we did a lot of outreach initially, um, but we've, we've got a point where we have some momentum where a lot of our students um, who are at the university will, will tell other people, and we're on this um, online WhatsApp group, so more people are being added, and it's just had a, a, a big snowball effect, um, which is great. That's also why we couldn't do it in our living room anymore. <laughs> um, so the word's kind of gotten out that way. Recently, though, as of just this past year, um, our church has, has actually um, employed a, a full-time guy to be our campus outreach coordinator. So he's bringing some uh, discipline and structure to kind of what was a, a little bit more of a word-of-mouth thing. But yeah, we're hoping that'll continue from there. Great question. Yes? Yeah, good question. Um, boy, probably a list of them. None of them stand out just on their own, but great question. Um, there's, there's definitely a, kind of a nominal Christianity that's assumed. Um, when somebody says that they're a Christian in Zambia, as most Zambians do, they simply mean that they're not Muslim. Um, but what following Christ actually looks like um, and your commitment to Christ as a way of life, um, so that's a big one just the nature of true Christianity. There's other things like the kind of the prosperity gospel. Um, that's definitely a very powerful, persuasive influence. And most of our students and people we know have some kind of a connection with that in their past at some point. Um, there, are, um, there are just cultural issues about uh, arguments, pretensions, and all that, and behaviors that are opposed to obedience to Christ, that are not easily talked about because some of them are, are taboo. Things like, um, for example, um, relationships between men and women and human sexuality is, is just not a topic that is very easily addressed. Uh, and as a result, the lack of teaching can, can result in a lot, of, a lot of those kinds of challenges. Those are just a few. Um, Ask Sarah afterwards. I'm sure there's a whole host of things that I've forgotten, but those are the ones that come to mind. Great question. Somebody else over here. Yes? You had mentioned that you came back to the States more recently. There was an increased hostility. Like, how did it manifest itself for you? Like, in the grocery store, online? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I've just noticed it um, from a distance and then coming back. Um, in uh, uh, probably some of the, the, the gender issues that our culture is, is facing. That's one that is super prominent in my mind. Um, just seems very um, kind of in your face. Uh, um, others um, a bit nearer to home would be 
I think the way that uh, as American Christians living in America, we can easily um, actually start to identify uh, our Americanness and our Christianity as sort of one and the same thing. Um, living in Zambia has kind of given us a little bit of perspective where where we can see when somebody is doing that kind of thing, mixing their culture and the gospel, and we're on the receiving end, and that's not our culture, so we feel that. Um, I, so I think when we come back and we see the ways that we as Americans can do that, um, it becomes a bit more obvious as well. So those kinds of things, um, yeah, again, those are the things that come to mind. I'm sure there's probably more. <laughs> Good question. Yes? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, many of the students that I've interacted with know that there's that um, cultural barrier between the older generation of, of Christians and aren't happy that it's there. Um, but they're also not in a, they're not well positioned to be the one to remove that barrier. Um, and, and that's where we could, we could not make headway at all without the, um, the wisdom and the leadership of our, of our Zambian fellow Christians. Um, it'd be easy for me as an American to come in and say, well, look, your culture is just all wrong here because young Christians are not relating the way they ought to with older Christians. And as, and as uh, right as that may be, um, I wouldn't have the, the platform to do that because it's easy to critique somebody else's culture. Um, so we're so thankful for the wisdom and the leadership of our, of our Zambian elders um, and other mature Christians in our church that are, that are able to, to draw attention to that, and, and they're actually being self-critical. They're saying, this is a problem in our culture, and this is something that we need to, to push back against, because this isn't actually Christianity. Christianity has you know, the younger men receiving the instruction and the wisdom and the mentorship from the older men, and the same thing with the ladies. Um, and so we're making progress in that area, and there is a willingness. There's even a willingness on the part of the older, more mature Zambian Christians, and they know that's a problem, but it's, it's hard to change your culture. Um, it, it's hard to change your own cultural operating, because you don't always know that you have it, and even when it is exposed to you, it, it's not a flipping of a switch where you just go, go forth and do better the next day. Um, it's a process of growth, much like the kind of growth we're all in in different aspects. Whichever culture we're in, we're all engaged in this same conflict of, of growing in our obedience towards Christ, um, bringing into line those things that are out of alignment, um, and, and making ourselves actually uh, under the instruction of the knowledge of God, as Paul says. So thank you. Great questions. I'm sure there's plenty more. We're uh, around afterwards. Um, we have run out of time, though, so thank you so much for um, your attention, the great questions. Thank you for your participation, because this is, this is a work that we're all in together as Christians, and um, please just continue to pray for us as we... Uh, 
Uh, head back, we'll be back in July um, in time for second semester um, to continue uh, teaching there. And we will be praying for you that you guys also continue to be faithful in the very same kind of work that God has called you to do here in Trenton. Thank you.